0: blackscholarspublishing.com That uh, we should get our own. Once we have our own, uh, we're respected for the fact that we can create our own. And uh, that's equality right there.
1: record Label Ms. Fish just did it. Ooh. Nylon cup for 5 minutes. Whoa. we up too hot in the business. About to make a
0: movie independent. Ooh. Episode 10. Boy, it's felt like it's been forever. Uh, and in reality, it kind of has reason being you haven't heard from me aka Teacher Bay. And by the way, Teacher Bay is uh an acronym. B uh Black, A, and E, educated, black and educated. Nevertheless, because most people who call themselves teacher bays aren't really teacher bays. There's a few out there, though, but we'll save that for another uh, episode. Nevertheless, um, episode 10 of the Black Scholars Podcast, a community for black educators. I am your host, Leonard Andre Wilson, Jr. Guys, 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 it's been a minute. School has started back. It's been about four and a half weeks. Remember, I'm in Memphis, Tennessee area, so we go to school early. We don't necessarily get out very early, but we do start school very early. And um, it's been kicking my butt, just being honest. It's been kicking my butt. And uh, I'm a seasoned vet, but I'm also a seasoned vet that likes to keep things interesting. I like to be challenged. It's one of the reasons why I have not been Board with education like other teachers who've been in the game for you know approaching that decade march. I'm not quite there, but I'm, I'm close to it. And, um, and I, I don't teach the same lessons that I did the previous year or the year after that, or I mean the year before that. Like, I don't teach the same lessons. Like, I always um, still plan lesson plans like it's my first time teaching it, even if I know the text, even if I know the standards like the back of my hand. It's a new group, new personnel, new students, and you know um, you have to approach it from a fresh perspective because ideally good effective teaching is meeting students at their levels, their current present levels of understanding and being able to lift and grow those students to uh, unseen of performances as far as assessments and writing and reading go uh, and read language arts or English language arts, however you call it. Um, So much going on that I want to share with you guys that I can at this time, but I will uh, in the near future. But just know that I am good. I am blessed. I am highly favored. Um, And really, that's the main reason why I've been gone is it's been four and a half weeks of trying to figure this thing out and I'm still trying to figure everything out. I got my data wall up, but I got no data up there. So I've got to handle that because sooner or later my principal's gonna nail me uh, for not having data up there. And it's not like I don't pay attention to data because that's my thing. I just haven't had the time to actually post it. And because the data always changes, I don't want to post it either uh, because it's always changing and I want to get it right. So nevertheless, this is episode 10 featuring Latrice, Olivia, Whitney. I'm doing something new instead of just focusing each episode um, on a specific topic. I just want to interview educators. I just want to talk to them. I want to have real conversations. So we literally talk about everything. Um, I do have a litany of questions that initially I use to kind of filter out who will be on the show and who won't be on the show. Uh, Ideally, I want everybody on the show, but I think some people have... their own personal agendas, and that's not really the platform for that. This is about helping each other uh, in this work that we do. And this isn't limited to just classroom teachers. You can be a guidance counselor, school psychologist, behavior interventionist, um, reading specialist. um, It it doesn't matter what your position is. Administrator, if you work with kids, if you are in, in the field of education, public or private, charter school or you know standard regular school, whatever that means, um, doesn't matter where you're located. Um, I I want to work with you. I, I want to talk to you. I want. Your content on this show um, especially if you are highly effective because we really need to support each other and even if you're not highly effective I want to talk to you too I want to talk about your struggles I want to be able to kind of you know pick your brain and pick your mind and see what's going on because I'm sure there's someone else out there that is struggling as well too just because you struggle doesn't mean that you're not effective just because you're struggling right now doesn't mean that you're in the wrong career or you're in the wrong profession Uh, It might, but you know, everyone is going to get a bad year or two. Like that—that happens. I had a bad year, Um, and if you see me in my classroom every single day, you'd have been like, "Woo, that is an excellent teacher." But I know where I went wrong, Um, and so keep that in mind. So, whoever you are, reach out to me. Find me on Instagram at the Black Scholars Podcast. uh, Oh, excuse me, at the Black Scholars Podcast. Black Scholars Publishing is the website. We still have the uh, Black and Gold Black Scholars, uh, Mali Empire um, t-shirts available. Also the book, um, Becoming a Highly Effective Black Educator is available um, on Amazon or Kindle. Uh, Even Barnes & Noble is available as well. Um, This show is available on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, um, Google Play, Um, I know I'm probably missing one. Uh, Stitcher Radio, we're we're all over the place. So thank you for those who have still uh, remained faithful subscribers. Thank you for those who still have kept me in mind. We still have people ordering shirts, people are still buying the books. I, I definitely appreciate your support and I wanna pay it forward, so. I'm definitely going to be giving away a lot of things in the near future. Um, Just hold tight um, and just continue to listen to the content. The content will continue to be great. The interviews will continue to be great. And just remember that uh, as we begin this school year that, you know, it's a marathon. You know, it's a marathon. Just take your time. Really dig into it. Don't rush through lessons. Um, Really dig into it. So let's get into the interview with Latrice Olivia Whitney out of New York District 30. Her hometown is Queens, New York City, and this was a very insightful, very informative, valuable interview uh, that I think you guys will enjoy, and you can find Latrice at Orishas, O-R-I-S-H-A-S underscore playground on Instagram. Again, that's O-R-I-S-H-A-S underscore playground, and I will leave that in the show notes. Find me on Twitter at at black scholar onl at black scholar onl i'm thinking about a yamaha i'm thinking about a yamaha get away from all the cameras i'm over it don't want to finish out
1: and pick a sign. No, 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 no. Ain't nobody gotta go through what I'm going through, no.
0: But it seems like they all know what I'm supposed to do, so. Let's switch bodies for a day. You could be me and I could be you. Juggle the pile of shit that's gonna come through. You can have it.
1: Since it's automatic. Now, so
0: Go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience and let them know who you are, where you're from, where you're teaching, what grade, um, what subject, all of that good information.
2: All right, great. So my name is Leatrice Whitney. I'm currently a high school English teacher in Queens, New York City. Um, I'm also teaching an elective playwriting class this 2018-2019 school year, Um I'm really just an all-around educator. I've had speri- experiences as a teaching artist, as um as a substitute teacher, as a college theater professor, um as a staff developer working um in Lincoln Center Education, um building. So I've really I've really just tried to dip and dabble into all spheres of education just because as an artist and as an educator, um, I like to kind of mix things up. I, if I get bored, I feel like my practice, both my practices as as an artist and an educator, kind of fall off. So I like to, you know, move around and try different things just to keep myself sharp.
0: And so you bring up a very interesting point, um, and actually an argument that I'm going to argue until I die is that. Imagine how awesome we would be in the classroom. Imagine how engaged students would be in the classroom if their actual instructors, their teachers, their professors actually did the things they taught.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, um, in mm-hmm.
2: Oh, sorry. And, and, and just to speak to that, um, my first semester in grad school um, for in an educational theater program, um, the, the two women who were running the program, they challenged us to do that almost every semester, every class, every week. They said, you know, if you as a theater practitioner, as a theater artist are, you know, struggling or suffocating or not really feeding yourselves those artistic moments, Mm. then how can you do that as an educator? How can you stand up in front of your students and be like, oh, you need to read this book. You need to see that show. You need to be involved in this form of theater. If we ourselves are not doing that, like your students can always smell you out.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I always say that you have to make the curriculum authentic, like it has to feel Mm -hmm. real and it can't get any realer than saying, hey, I actually do this you know, and, and outside of school, and I actually make money from it, or I actually, you know, produce things that, you know, people appreciate, I've got a fan base, like, that's awesome that you actually do that.
2: Yes, yes, I, I definitely try to.
0: Yep. So let me ask you this. Um, so are you still teaching at the collegiate level as well?
2: I'm not this semester. Okay. Um but a lot of times what I'll do during the summer is I'll I'll work or oftentimes volunteer with their camps on on the college campuses as well. So in in New York City we have a lot of CUNY schools which is basically our um or city universities of New York, mm-hmm. and they do oftentimes offer uh, supplemental programs in the summer, whether it's you know writing programs or tutoring centers or even uh, theater productions. Queens College offers a theater camp um, and I will try to um jump in and work with them as well to offer you know support and guidance throughout those those summer semesters
0: and see, I've been interested in getting my feet wet at the collegiate level as an adjunct, and so I'd like to know, what's your experience? Do you enjoy teaching adults? Do you enjoy teaching at that level?
2: Oh, my gosh. I completely fell in love with it. Um, So I... Uh, I actually, when I gr- finished grad school, I took a trip to Ghana um to study there, and in preparation to my going, you know I had all of these you know finishing grad school, I had all these ideas and dreams that were really buzzing, and I just on a whim, I was like, you know what i 'll take my resume with me to Ghana, thinking that I would work there collegiately, <laughs> on a collegiate level yeah. and then while while I was in Ghana, I had the idea, and I said. I said, let me contact my um, my mentors and all of the, you know the department that I graduated from. I said, even even there during undergrad, they let me work as a TA. Um, they let me do be a student, direct, a student assistant director for a lot of their performances. Um, so once I had that idea, I immediately coming back after a month in Ghana, I immediately walked went up to the, to the department. It's not too far from my home. Um, and I said, I said, Hey guys, you know, I'm, I'm back. <laughs> I have a master's degree. Um, Thank you so much for supporting me throughout my artistic process. You know, if you have any classes available that you'd like me to teach, um, you know, this is what I've done since I've been away. This is my skill set, handing them a resume, the whole shebang. Um, And they immediately, you know, hired me on for one class. And then there was another professor there who needed some help with another poetry class on Saturdays. Um, so immediately, you know, I was, I was welcomed in, I was loved, I was supported, um, now in the capacity as faculty. Um, and I already had the foundation of, you know, that support as a student and it was, it was great. I, I formed such a great bond, um, with the students. And, you know, when I was there as a, as a student, there was a lot of, um, You know, there's different waves of of your student base when you're working in higher education. And when I was there, there was a great wave of, you know, adults coming back to school. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. like the 18, 19-year-old party crowd. It was a lot of 45-year-olds. Fifty-year-olds, thirty-year-olds, um, doing kind of going for their second career. Okay. Um, and that's and that's what I was anticipating as an instructor. Right. But ironically, <laughs> I had you know the 16, 17 year seventeen-year-olds, some homeschool students, you know the the traditional college crowd. Um, and on the, kind of like the first one or two weeks of the semester, it was a little difficult, um, because you know you have to get seventeen and eighteen-year-olds into the framework of Um, I am, I am young like you, but I'm not your friend or, you know, (laughs) I'm not your peer. Um, I am your professor. Um, so that was, that was a little bit alarming to me, you know, teaching, teaching at a high school level in public schools. Um, I deal with that quite a lot. You know, I'm, I'm fairly on the young side. I'm 29 years old. So Mm -hmm. there is a lot of like big sister, cool aunt older cousin type of syndrome that I have to disarm my students with so going into a college setting I was like oh great they're gonna respect me I'm not gonna have to deal with this they're (laughs) gonna see me as a professional as a professor they're really gonna look up to me and I was like oh god we got to do this all over again
0: (laughs) yeah definitely so let me ask you this oh go (laughs) ahead sorry No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask, since you have taught at the collegiate level and uh, you've enjoyed it, have you thought about doing that um, on a full time basis? Have you considered getting your doctorate degree?
2: I have. I absolutely have. I'm at right now. Actually, I'm kind of in this little um, middle ground of do I get a second master's? Um, do I get an MFA as an artist, mm. or do I go full blown into kind of like that artistic research field with the with the PhD? Right. So um, there's a lot of different, and even even with higher education, because I am in that arts field of higher education, um, I, there's even more of a struggle between do I get the MFA or do I do the PhD? Um, because as as um, academics in the arts we don't 100% need a PhD. Right. Um, we, we can kind of ride out with the MFA um, and, you know, do research that is producible where we can, you know, do ethnodramas and very theater based research and turn it into a play. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of, there's, you know, in the education field, as well as arts education, there's a lot of wiggle room. So it's it's not very cut and dry. And and I have been talking to a lot of colleagues, um, as well as mentors. Um, and they're kind of as stumped as I am because they're just like, they're like, you are so diverse in your teaching background. They're like, you can literally do anything. Um so I'm still kind of figuring that out, still kind of, you know, feeling things around. Um okay. at, at best, um, I would say I do want to go more into that, like kind of anthropology style of the arts, really studying culture, studying, um, how different groups of people pass down information through storytelling and through the arts and through dance and through music. Um, so it's really, I guess, really finding a program that fits that format, whether it's a PhD or a master's is kind of where I'm at at my search.
0: That's awesome. So it sounds like you have a lot of different options, a lot of flexibility. And like your colleague said, that's going to make you, you know, even more flexible and employable and marketable. So uh, I think it's amazing. And keep me updated and let me know, you know, which one you actually choose, because I'm, I'm curious. Oh,
2: most certainly we will do.
0: Definitely. So um, just to backtrack. So you currently teach 10th graders, correct?
2: Yes. 10th oh. graders at William Cullum Bryant High School.
0: All right, I'm curious what texts are the students currently reading or what will they be reading this year?
2: Um they will be going into Animal Farm. Mm, nice. Um a lot of a lot of sci-fi books. Okay. Um graphic novels Fahrenheit 451 we'll be doing a set text on that. And um, surprisingly, I, I did Fahrenheit 451 with eighth graders when I was working as a, a substitute teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious now to do that with 10th graders, because even when I was doing it with um, eighth graders, I was just like, um, I was like, this is a little heavy. I was, right. <laughs> I was like, you know, there's a lot of deep Um, kind of, you know, utopian and and dystopian themes. Um, But one of the ways we kind of broke that up in an eighth grade setting is um, we brought in different forms of media with them. Um, So that was was fun in doing that. You know, we showed them plays, we showed them movies. Um, So I wonder if um, my 10th graders will need that or if they'll kind of really jump into the language and kind of the visual storytelling that goes on within the text. So
0: we'll see. Definitely. Keep me updated on that as well, too. Um, Did you get the opportunity to watch the HBO film that uh, Michael B. Jordan put put together?
2: I did not get a chance. I saw it. um, Actually, when I saw it come out, um, that was when I was teaching it with my students. Okay. Okay. Um, so I didn't really get a chance to jump into it. Um, but like, like, uh, you know, disengaged engaged teacher who doesn't have time for television. I, I assigned an extra credit assignment to my eighth graders and I said, if, they, watch watched it. It, okay. if yeah. they watched it and did a reflection on it, that they would get extra credit. And majority of them did because, you know, b- they referenced Michael B. Jordan with black Panther at that time. Killmonger. Killmonger. And, and they, Oh my God, they loved it. They were, they were like, Oh my God, Wakanda forever and Fahrenheit 451. (laughs) I was like, I was like, yes, but not really. Yeah, Totally
0: different universes, but
2: exactly. But the, but the buy-in was high and they enjoyed it. So I was like, great. Whatever gets y'all involved. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Engaged by any means necessary. Right.
2: Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Awesome. So let's get into the questions. Um, so All what right. bothers you most, Latrice, about uh, the field of education as a profession?
2: Um, I would say the field of education that most bothers me, um, I would think just within the cultural context and, you know, social economics, the way they are playing out as of now, um, there seems to be a huge issue across the United States with, you know, the, the wage disparity of teachers um and that's yeah. very it's very disheartening to me because you know i i understand living in new york city i understand that the cost of living is extremely high yes. um and one of the most affordable at least from my my experience i come from a family of teachers um and my mother was very business savvy with how she planned her um her teaching career so this whole idea at least from the new york city um, viewpoint of, you know, teaching is a very poor, poor man's job and you can't afford to live in the whole poor teacher mindset. Yeah. I did not grow up living that experience, nor when I cho- chose to go into the teaching profession. Um, that was not my train of thought either. You know, I went from undergrad straight into grad school, knowing that I was going to get my master's and work towards my 60 plus. Um, So when, as an adult, you know, going into the teaching career, when I saw um, in West Virginia, teachers had to drive Lyft and work Mm. as waitresses. And, you know, there was was another um, math teacher where he was saying, you know, his wife, he and his wife have, you know, a lawn cutting and a landscaping business, and they make more money from that than he does from his salary as a teacher. I was just Mm. like, what what is going on? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I always looked at education as a very um, not only prestigious, but profitable career where you can hold your head high, provide for yourself, have, you know, kind of um, that luxury income and, and, you know, a budget to really take those, you know, wonderful family vacations, invest in your hobbies and things like. And now that I'm in this career, you know, gearing up for a lifetime pursuit of it, I'm just like, whoa, this is not what I signed up for.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um, From a teacher's perspective, and Mm -hmm. and you kind of spoke on that, is there something that we can do to kind of alleviate that, that problem that's pretty widespread across the country?
2: Um, I think, I think teachers need to become more politically active. I think educators have always been extremely politically minded. Um, And that's wonderful. That's a strong start and a great foundation. Um, But I really do think educators need to get back to that I'm out on the front lines lifestyle. We need to live and breathe um, in our public officials, public offices, public policy. We need to be the mouthpieces inside the classroom, inside the school buildings, inside of our staff development meetings. We need to be... um, pushing constantly mm-hmm. um, what we need, what our students need, what is what is righteous and what is unjust. We need to constantly be that mouthpiece. I think to some extent, um, you know, with a lot of standardized testing and getting rated and, you know, uh, teacher, teacher evaluations, we've gotten a little afraid. And rightly so. You know, teachers have been pulled out. There has been a lot of um, top-down rhetoric that is coming in and shaking things up and moving valuable teachers out of the classroom. Um, you know, we have people who have no educational background coming up with exams and telling us how to do our jobs, and we've been called glorified babysitters, um, and that's un- that's all understandable. But at the end of the day, um, educators are powerful, and I think we need to take our power back by letting letting. letting our administrators know, letting our communities know that we are not going to stand for certain things because they are disservice ultimately to the communities and the children that we serve.
0: Absolutely. Um, so definitely politically, but if going into education, if we know like, okay, if I live in this state or if I work for this district in this county, that they pay X amount of dollars, I can see uh the the teacher's salary scale or salary ladder and how that um you know grows or or uh increments, it barely grows. Going into it, isn't there a way that we can be prepared to, to deal with it? Like you said, uh, one of your colleagues has a business with his wife and um, he's making more than what he's making teaching. But I'm pretty sure you right. combine them both. He's probably living a decent lifestyle, I would have to imagine.
2: Right, right. Um, so I, I would definitely say just doing that, being aware yeah. Before you go into teaching or even thinking about like, well, one of because I had an, an educator for a mother, one of the things um, she did with me was she really exposed me to those different facets of education. You know, um, my mother was an educator for quite some years and then she stepped into an administration role. And that wasn't the traditional, you know, school principal or assistant principal. Um, she was a staff developer. Okay. And so, so growing up watching her lead professional developments and things of that nature, that exposed me to alternative careers within the school building. Yes. Um, so that made me aware of all those different opportunities. And even outside of a staff developer, she was also an arts coordinator. She did a lot of the after-school programs. She coordinated a lot of student talent shows and arts-based performances within the school. So when I decided to step into you know, the world of theater education, that allowed me to see, okay, so I want to also pursue a role as a theater teacher, an English teacher. And then when I get ready to step out of the classroom, of course, I don't want to be the traditional principal or assistant principal, I would like to be an arts liaison. I would Mm. like to be a literacy coach. Um, So I think teachers really need to explore what other avenues and venues of education that they can pursue besides the traditional principal. Um, Even another field that's opening up in terms of um, just the business aspect of education, entrepreneurs. Um, Yeah. really finding, you know, what what niche or what product-based information or tool you can bring to the classroom and then transforming that into a business as well. Um, TESOL and ESL programs are big now. You know, a lot of people, um, women who go on maternity leave, they supplement their income by teaching English online to a multitude of different programs. Um, So I really think teachers need to just, you know, sit down for a moment and really get creative and thinking outside of the box of the traditional classroom. Cause there's, there, there's multiple ways to supplement your income. We just have to be diligent in talking about it for one thing and then finding out and researching.
0: Definitely, definitely. And I would, Add to that, uh, it should be a natural fit. Like I, I, I would hate for someone to do something that, you know, like you said, driving lift. Now, if you enjoy speaking with people and you don't mind people in your car and, you know, you've been living in the same community for forever and you know every you know, neighborhood and community, then maybe that's something you would enjoy. But if you don't enjoy that, um, I wouldn't add additional stress um, by doing something you don't like just to earn additional income. Try to find or create, you know, a fit that fits you and your, you know, passion outside of the classroom. Or like you said, there's a lot of uh, what do you call edupreneurs. Right. Yes. You know, entrepreneurs if you're if you specialize in, you know, getting students to know and use their own data, you know, that could be a business that could be a product that could be uh, a coaching consulting opportunity. So really look at yourself, do some deep diving and figure out what is it that you enjoy doing and find a way to uh, supplement your income because of it. Definitely.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, You know, I, I even went to one. Um, professional development training session and uh, the instructor opened up the session by saying, you know, if you are a poet, raise your hand. If you can sing, raise your hand. If you play an instrument, raise your hand. Um, If you performed in a play before, raise your hand. So a lot of times, Teachers are a lot more talented we and are. have a lot more skills that yep. we give ourselves credit for. Um, Absolutely. so it's really about doing, you know, doing that kind of inventory assessment on your own self. We're constantly collecting data on our students and and you know, tapping into their skill set. Tap teachers need to tap into their own skill set and really do, you know, a mock-up of what they bring to the classroom. We we are a, a resource of money. And and skills and different trades. Um, but oftentimes we ignore ourselves because we're so busy serving others. Um, if we just turn give ourselves a little bit of time, just maybe ten minutes every day, we Absolutely. we could find a, a a wonderful source of businesses and opportunity is an additional income to really just meet every need.
0: Totally agree. Well said. Thank you. So let me ask you this what bothers you most about the art and science of of teaching of actual pedagogy and instruction
2: um i feel like the actual art and science of teaching um is not really considered an art and science of teaching (laughs) (laughs) um on a mainstream level i think for those who do it, and for those who are in that educational community, no matter what sphere or sector of the educational system, we know that because we live and breathe it. You know, we huh. we we take those classes, we sit down, we you know, we go throughout the undergrad and the graduate experience and the student teaching. We know that it's an art. We know that it's a science. We know that not just anybody off the street can do this um, because we've dedicated our our whole beings to it. Um, but I cannot tell you how many times people have said to me, um, I didn't know it, it, you had to have a master's degree to be a teacher. I didn't know it was that involved to teach. I didn't know that you had to do all of that. Right. And I was just like, I was like, yeah. Do you want literally anybody teaching your kid? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you want someone who just, you know, I, cause when you think about it on a, on an undergraduate level, that's kind of just your introduction to education, your introduction to your field that you're going to be studying. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I put it that way towards, you know, people who oftentimes confront me with this, as like, do you want someone who has just been introduced to something, kind of guiding your child to learning? And nope. knowledge I was like, I was like, you want someone who has a master's, you want someone who is constantly involved in the latest trends and the latest studies and, and statistics and data on how to best teach and how children best learn. Um, and, you know, every once in a while, they'll still kind of look at me with this glazed look like, uh, but you're just a teacher. <laughs> um, so I, I think that if anything, um, upsets me because it's just like, I, I, I feel like on a mainstream level on, a, on an everyday level, teachers are very much underrated. Um, very. Uh, it's, we don't really get the respect and, and maybe that is because of the wage disparity, you know, sadly in the United States, we, we offer, we garner respect by how much you're paid. Um, that could be one thing to do with it. It could be all the standardized testing and all the hypocrisy that goes on with that. You know, we, we have to do individual education plans via IEPs, but then every student takes a standardized test. So that kind of just, just mismatch in those arenas. It could be a lot of things, but, um, but I I really feel like educators are not valued for, um, what we do, what we're capable of. And, um, the effect that we have on our students' lives and as well as the, the families that surround them.
0: Do you feel like there's something we can do to start to attract that respect from society and mainstream as a whole?
2: Um I think I think it would mostly be just to go back to getting teachers to be more advocates, getting teachers to visibly advocate within their communities, um to become more politically active. Right. Um I think if more families saw teachers stepping up in the community um, whether it be you know on a small scale coming out to events um, coming out to sports games and and um, shows and things of that nature being more involved in the school community um, it's sad to say there have been some times when, you know where I was uh, working as a substitute teacher in schools and I was the only quote unquote staff member coming out to certain events. Um, and, you know, the teachers, the the students would marvel at that. They'd be like, oh my God, Ms. Whitney's a sub and she's here. You know, where's so-and-so? Where's this person? Um, this is my favorite teacher, but they never show up. Um, it's it's a multitude of things. But I think a great place to start would be um, teachers becoming more politically active.
0: Now, you said something that kind of triggered a, a, a inquiry in my head here. Um, do you think those favorite teachers that students wanted to uh, impress and wanted to play in front of, do you think they didn't attend out of disinterest or do you think, you know, kind of like we were saying before, you know, teachers because of the underpay have got to go do other things or, you know, maybe they have family obligations um, and I don't know how much you knew about your colleagues at that time, but do you think they weren't showing up just because or that they were doing something else like earning Um. supplemental income?
2: I think I think it was also uh, they had family obligations. A sure. lot of a lot of the colleagues I work with, they did have young children. Yeah. Um. And by young, I mean like preschool, daycare age. Yeah. And daycare
0: is expensive, um, so.
2: Oh my God! It you is
0: gotta go great. pick them up. Don't be late.
2: My my sister in law, she spends like a and she's like, she is a, like a neuroscientist professor. Like her and my brother, they're like dorks. Yeah. And I'm just y'all are paying how much in childcare? Oh my God! It's expensive, yeah. It's so expensive. Um, so it was. It was mostly that childcare. Um, but then the other facet of it um, that I, I personally heard other teachers saying was that they are just dog out tired. Tired yeah. <laughs> by, by the time they finish. By the time they finish, you know, the school day or whatever professional obligations, mm-hmm. they have the worst case of teacher tired. Um, and I one hundred percent. Agree with them. A lot of these new regulations and contractual obligations that we have to meet, um, even teaching to test now, it is extremely difficult to really um, even set your own self-care regimen outside of be, being supportive to your students and involved in the school community. It's just like, okay, I, I need to go take a massage or I need to come home and have a bath. I need yep. to, um, set aside some time for myself. It's just like, I can't because I am so exhaustedly tired. <laughs> um, it's a physical tired. It's a spiritual tired. It's a mental tired, <laughs> It's an emotional drain. Yep. It's just like, you know, we, teachers wear so many hats. We do. Um, it's, it's a lot. Sometimes, you know, I, I've had to step in and, and, you know, there's always the keep your boundaries and make sure, you know, you're not, you know, doing the guidance counselor's job. But <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, when you know your student, when you recognize that something's wrong or off right. or you can see or speak to something and, and immediately in that moment you're going to put on the hat of guidance counselor you're going to make sure that you help your child that needs help i mean they're a human being um you want to do what's best for them and you know no matter how much that might exhaust you but at the end of the day the reality is you're tired you are dog tired
0: totally agree and like you just said like you know best practice Um, and I don't care what research says, best practice is build rapport, build relationship with your students and their parents and, you know, whomever is involved in that student's education, especially the student. So if I can, you know, I see one of my students, Raphael, having a bad day and he's got his head Mm -hmm. down as soon as he comes in and after he finishes bell work or maybe he half attempted it, we need to have a conversation because I need to know like what's going on before, you know, I'm not going to start barking at him and, hey, do your work da, 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 da. and I've seen some teachers do that and I've seen them um, for lack of a better term burn a bridge with a student and they might lose that student if not for the rest of the year but they might lose that student for a significant amount of time because believe it or not especially when you get to secondary grades these kids hold grudges if you, if you embarrass them or they feel like you've disrespected them, especially in front of their peers, they will hold a grudge against you. And maybe that grudge will last a day. Maybe it'll last an entire four and a half weeks, you know. Um, so that's something that teachers listening, you guys have got to be careful with is that, you know, be respectful, even in Uh, dishing out the consequences negative or positive like always be respectful even if a kid is not doing what they ask you to do or they're being you know willfully disobedient or showing insubordination or maybe they're being disrespectful themselves because anytime i have a kid that even borders on disrespect toward me yeah let's go have a conversation out in the hall and we have a real i call it a come to jesus moment uh where they where they realize that Yeah, Mr. Wilson is highly educated. And yes, Mr. Wilson is a teacher. However, Mr. Wilson is a grown man. And uh, you're going to be respectful. We're going to have some issues. (laughs) Yeah, I'll just keep it as simple as that. Like, I'm going to be respectful to you. You got to be respectful to me. But definitely, you got to build rapport with those kids. And like you said, sometimes you have to take the role of, of guidance counselor or, or mom or dad or big brother or uncle or aunt. Like, so we just have to do it because uh, yep. their education is that important. It's it's just that yep. important. I don't know yeah. any other way to describe it. So.
2: Yeah. One of the things I've always tried to reinforce just in terms of rapport building and even um classroom management with my students, you know, I, I I understand, at least in a New York City framework, students will often try and push your buttons Mm -hmm. or to see what they can get away with because they understand in school, um, for whatever reason, there's not a lot of accountability. Nope. I can, you know, at home, I can be one way and there's going to be accountability. I'm either going to have things taken away. I'm going to, you know, get disciplined. I might get spanked or something like that. Um, I have to behave a certain way because that's mom and dad who ultimately control my survival. (laughs) Um, and with teachers, we, they understand we cannot hit them, we cannot take certain things away, calling mom and dad, they have some way of oftentimes intercepting that. Um, and I just ultimately let them know, I say, well, if you behave that way outside of school, in the street, what are the natural consequences for that? And they'll, you know, hmm. they'll say, to the, the police will come, I'll get arrested or I'll get fined or something like that. And they'll give me that kind of thing. And I'm just like, really? You will get arrested and fined if the police come. I said, honey, that is that is the ideal situation of what will happen when the police come. Right. I said in this day and age, if you behave that way, right, that's oftentimes a life and death situation.
0: Right, definitely.
2: I said and I understand that may not be something you want to hear right now, or that may be triggering to you, depending upon your your Life experiences and situation, whether you've lost someone or not. I said, but we're living in a day and age. I said, especially for me as a teacher, where i've I've lost students. Mm-hmm. i've I've sat down one day, and the student is here, and the next day they're gone. as i I even remember being in high school, you know, and I went to an all girls uh, Catholic private high school. And then, you know, we walked into school one day, we saw this girl here, and the next day she was in a fatal car crash, you know, she was on life support, and she was gone. So you have to constantly be aware of how your actions can literally predict whether you're going to be alive or not. And I said, one of the things that I do as a teacher is try to make you aware of that natural consequence. I understand people are going to try you and test you and things are going to get on your nerves and you're going to blow up and you're going to be frustrated. I get it. I totally get that. But at least for while we're here, let me help you practice responsible emotional reactions. Practice being an adult practice staying alive in one of the most difficult situations you can possibly imagine. I said, because who's doing that with you? Who's giving you that skill set? No, a lot of, no one. It's not, it's not a thing. I said, but we need it. We absolutely need it in this day and age. You know, we're losing children. We're losing adults. We're losing family members and parents left and right. Let, I don't let's, let's practice, let's practice getting it right. Let's, let's practice staying alive. Um, Because how many people want to see some of our students and some of the, you know, the people, our colleagues and the people that we work with a lot. It's, it's a, it's a harsh reality, but it's a reality nonetheless.
0: It's a very difficult reality. Um, Let me touch on something you said earlier. Um, You mentioned self-care. What do you do on a consistent basis to make sure that you are staying sane and uh, kind of relieving some of that stress that you might feel at times? How are you keeping things together?
2: Um, one of the things that I do on a consistent basis is I take um, Afro-Caribbean or African dance classes. Um, Sounds like fun. I, oh, it, it definitely is. <laughs> I grew up dancing all my life, um, and one of the studios that I'm frequently frequenting now um, is uh, Kumbay dance studio in uh, Brooklyn, New York, and they just have such a variety of, of dance genres and drumming classes that really help me, um, especially as such, such a heavy, heavy cerebral um, person. I'm either I'm always researching or doing some type of like very deep thinking work. Um, it just provides me an opportunity to be in my body um, to shake off all of that stress, to, to stop worrying and, and fixating on other people's children, responsibilities, lives, goals, um, achievements, and really just go into myself. Um, I think as teachers, that whole concept of, um, being selfish, being self-centered, um, having joy that is independent of everything around you, that's very taboo and it's very scary (laughs) Um, because, you know, our, a lot of our training is built upon focusing on other people, supporting other people, being responsible for about 30 of the 35 other human beings in the room. Um, And For a while, I did feel guilty about that. Um, I remember I was working as a substitute teacher and I was doing a a long-term assignment for the whole school year. And, um, you know, I took a couple of days off um, to go on a vacation. And (laughs) I remember I got, I didn't even get off the plane to my destination yet. I got to the TSA line and I was, I looked at my mom and, you know, the rest of my group and I was like, I feel so guilty. I was like, I miss my students, they're gonna hate me. And, you know, my mom is also a teacher, and there was another woman who was a teacher. She was like, oh, my God, are you serious? I was like, (laughs) I'm really serious. I was like, I should go back. This is bad. They were like, shut up. You earned this. They're like, you earned this. You're you're doing a great job. You're going to have to come back to your job. Like, they were like, they're fine without you. I think... um, we kind of develop as educators, like this guilty parent thing where it's like, we have to be with them all the time, rather than being with ourselves. Um, And and dance class just really allows me um, to do that. You know, oftentimes I I do apply some of those teaching techniques to myself, in which um, I'm observing myself, I'm feeling myself, I'm telling myself to not be so hard, um, to relax. you're learning something new for the first time. It's okay if you don't get it right. Um, a lot of those self-talk and encouraging words and phrases that we give to our students. Um, when I'm in a dance class, I make space to give that to myself. Um, so that way when I come back to the classroom, um, I have I have my cup has been full. Mm-hmm. filled. I I can pour back into myself so that way I can pour back into my students and colleagues. It's it's really hard to pour from an empty empty cup and I've seen um other teachers do it and I'm just like, man, you gotta get some hobbies.
0: <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I, I and this is something that I've struggled with. So I can definitely relate to what you're saying in the pursuit to be the best and in pursuit to be excellent and to exemplify what it means to be great in the classroom and highly effective it is extremely draining Mm -hmm. i constantly think about my kids i constantly think about the lessons the standards their assessment performance um engagement their data like it's constantly in my head. And so, and this is my ninth year in, ninth year in, and I still struggle with it sometime. And I literally have to force or, or almost trick myself where I won't bring my laptop home or I won't bring student work home and actually find some time to detach. And then I'll go kickboxing or I'll go to the park walking or I'll go to the gym or maybe I'll just go to the movies or something to be able to separate myself from this work that is not, this is not typical work. Um, And it's funny, and we talked about this a little bit, the how society just looks at us as, well, you're just a teacher or you're just a glorified babysitter. And it's like, I don't think you could last a day or, or two in my shoes with everything I'm responsible for and the amount of knowledge that I have to consistently have or the amount of patience that I have to have when I thoroughly explain something to the entire group then I have Mm -hmm. a student do the exact same thing and if they get it wrong I find somebody else and then that person who got it wrong I have them explain what that other student explained which I explained and then now everybody's on the same page five minutes into it what are we supposed to be doing? Like the amount of patience oh that gosh. you yes. have to have and yes. in, in dealing with students and dealing with parents and dealing with your, your colleagues and dealing with mm-hmm. administrators. Like, and yeah. then, like you said, teach to the test. Like it's an, The work that we do yep. at times can be overwhelming, which is, you know, which is why I want to ask you about the self-care because teachers, if you're listening, you have to do something. I don't care what your yes. hobby is, you've got to do something. You, got, you have to yeah. find something you're passionate yeah. about outside of just teaching in the classroom. And you've got to be able to shut your, your mind, your heart, your spirit off from work and mm-hmm. go do something else. Like just yeah. find a way to relax. Like it's just that important. Yeah. Um, and,
2: and I would even challenge teachers to try to find one maybe high energy physical activity. Yeah. And I see that because educators, we carry, we're in such a stressful environment. Mm -hmm. You would be surprised how much we store that energy in our bodies.
0: We do. Mm -hmm.
2: Teaching is a very empathically charged profession. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, even sometimes where you have teachers huddle over you or you have, you know, you're holding the shoulders of a student who's stressed out Mm -hmm. or you're trying to, you know, where you have to have those classroom management conversations and you can see a student is very enraged or sometimes you're breaking up a fight or you're trying to stop a fight within the split second of it happening. We do a lot of touch and energy and body work with our students and which can be great and very life saving for the student, but on the opposite end, as the educator, we're absorbing all of that energy into ourselves, we and we're, mm-hmm. we're taking it home with us to our family, to to our loved ones, and you know, coming coming from a very you know just a holistic and spiritually minded background. Everyone is not aware of cleansing and how to re- <laughs> how to remove that energy and how right. to separate how to create those kind of empathic barriers those auric barriers and and things of that nature. Um. So if you can get out into nature and just kind of ground, putting oh, your feet onto the it, grass, it feels or, so good. <laughs> or running or just kind of any anything physical where you're really moving that energy around your body, even yoga. Yeah. Uh, I I highly recommend it. Um. Because a lot of a lot of that stress you know we 're seeing drop down through the age range it 's not uncommon for a twenty nine year old um, a thirty five year old to have a heart attack to have a stroke to drop dead at the time clock. you know My, my mother always warned me um, because she had she witnessed colleagues of hers literally drop dead at the time clock in the morning. Um, so, so educators, you know, please guard yourselves, work, do whatever kind of physical body work, energy work, therapeutic, therapeutic work um, that is necessary because we, we are a very vital source to our community. Um, but that, that's all secondary if we're not taking care of our physical, emotional, mental body, spiritual bodies. Um, we, that needs to be first and foremost. We need to be more selfish
0: with our health. Please, please. And, and and to add to that holistically, um, that does mean nutrition is important as well, too. Like drink yes. plenty of water, plenty of water, um, eat healthier. Uh, McDonald's and, and and Burger King and these fast food restaurants, mm-hmm. you can't eat those on a consistent basis. I know we're super busy. I know we got to get here and there and there and do this. And so sometimes because they're convenient and they're cheap, we eat them we rely on them but you've got to be able to balance out your nutrition and try to eat as healthy as possible eat your vegetables like mom used to say like eat them oh, like yeah. you, you you can't eat a hamburger and french fries every single day like yeah. Yeah. it it it's killing you like in so many yeah. different ways and you're snapping at kids and you're snapping at coworkers and you know you're mm-hmm. not paying attention in, in, in faculty meetings or plcs It's because you're not at your best. Like, how can you be at your best in the classroom if you're not at your best outside of the classroom? And uh, I mean, we can all improve, uh, including myself. But I'm always mindful of that. I'm like, wait a second. How many times have I eaten French fries within the last two weeks? It's like you you want French fries with that? Nope, I don't want French fries with that. Actually, (laughs) I'll take a Greek yogurt, please. So you you just got to be mindful. You've got to be mindful.
2: Yeah, that's actually another a form of my health care. Um, Sundays, yeah. I, I, not even and not even till Sunday night. Usually when I'm up on Sunday morning doing breakfast, I stop and I do my meal prep. Why
0: not? I meal
2: prep all my lunch for the rest of the week. I make sure I either um, have a smoothie and like a mm. little mason jar um, for breakfast and with my lunch um, some type of either green leafy vegetable Mm -hmm. or some additional fruit as well. Um, just because I know how difficult it is, you know, waking up in the morning, if I can't get a well-balanced breakfast, I'll do a smoothie. I'll put some protein in there. Um, you know, and things like that, I'll do a liquid breakfast. So that way when I'm up in the morning, I do my shower and everything. I need to get out because traffic is horrendous. (laughs) (laughs) teacher travel and, you know, teacher traffic. I get it. Um, but that's, that's still not an excuse to let go on yourself, your nutrition and your diet for the day. Like your, your brain needs a certain amount of calories in order to function in the morning. And then you have, your brain has to function so you can guide other brains to function. So, um, I think, you know, really being cognizant of how can I best utilize my time throughout the week? How can I, Take those, quote unquote, small moments of time and, and really make sure I'm setting myself up for success. We're constantly saying that to our students, you know, I want to set you up for success. Yeah. Um, we we want to do that for ourselves. Right, teachers? Like, of course. Yeah, <laughs> definitely.
0: Definitely. Yeah.
2: We want to take all of those token phrases that we give to our students and really start turning them inward and giving it to ourselves. Um, cause if we can be great to someone else's children, why not be great to ourselves?
0: Exactly. A hundred percent agree. Let yeah. me turn, let me turn the conversation a bit. So we've been okay. speaking very general, which I'm, I'm, I'm fine with, cause that's, this is great information for everyone, all educators, but this is called the black scholars podcast. So, yeah. so we, we are uh, narrowed and niched into black educators, especially because there's so few of us and mm-hmm. there's so much content out there that really, it overlooks us, uh, especially black male educators. So let me ask you this, um, what issues, or what's the most pressing issue you believe uh, is affecting black educators specifically?
2: Um, for one thing, um, we, we, in terms of teacher education programs and, and education as a career and a profession in general, um, black people overall are not exposed to that as a career option. And I, I lucky enough came from a teaching family. Um, but I, I would dare to think if I did not have that exposure via my family, I would not have gone into the teaching profession. Um, And then for those educators who are in the teaching profession and who do have that exposure, um, I think there's a little kind of um, elitism when it comes to different subjects and things of that nature. Um, Like when I go to different educational theater conferences, um, different, you know, professional gatherings, I'm, I'm one, one of very few, maybe one of two Black faces in the room. Mm. Um, there are not many Black theater professionals. Um, there are not many Black theater teachers. Um, and it's very, very disheartening to me, considering the great entertainment legacy that African-Americans, uh, you know, people of the African diaspora have, you know, right. black people have made a great contribution to theater arts and performance, performance arts. So when I stepped into the classroom wanting to share um, that legacy and contribution that has been made in an educational format, um, there was a lot of challenge that was met. Um, even in grad school, you know, when I wanted to do very educate, black educational centered um, lesson plans and projects and you know I wanted to do the whiz for certain shows or I wanted to do Porgy and Bess um and thing and very you know the classical black theater shows and things like that you know my my mentors were just like what's that I don't know how to advise you I don't understand um this isn't something I'm familiar with um so that that was frustrating um and then when looking for uh, you know, black educators who are taking leadership roles in school buildings. It's not—it's not something I'm seeing a lot in New York City. I'm—I'm um, I'm mostly seeing black educators within the classroom. I don't see too many or um, diverse roles, really. We might be more school principals and assistant principals, but when I'm looking for uh, grade leaders, curriculum instructors, um, professional development workshop leaders. Um, you know, we have, um, different arts education, you know, arts liaisons and different grant writers, um, directors, musical directors, lighting, set designers within the school, within the school framework, it's not there. (laughs) So if I want to go put on a show, with an all, you know, an all black cast or an all Latino cast or just a culturally diverse cast, and I say, excuse me, you know, these lights are looking very harsh on my students' skin. Can you give me another gel or can you give me another um, light setting? They're not familiar with that framework of how to light for uh, people of color skin. Um, if, you know, I'm, if I ever code switch in a classroom and I'm being observed, you know, I'll get feedback, you know, well, I didn't understand what you said at this point, make sure you're speaking English. And Mm I'm like, well, my, my students, you know, they speak English, but culturally for that moment, it's better. I, I reach a certain higher level of un- understanding if I'm speaking in Jamaican Patois, if I use this particular, you know, street slang, if I make a reference to the new Drake song or a Cardi B song or a Nicki right. Minaj song, if I go into Dominican slang or you know uh, a certain Spanish slang or dialect to really drive home the root of what I'm talking about. I said that's me teaching to their cultural capacity or their cultural capital. What are you talking about? Um, I will then get reprimanded. I will say, you know, I'm not flexible or I'm argumentative. Um, so it's, it's, it's frustrating because it's just like, um, you're, you're dealing with a certain cultural disconnect where, you know, this, the whole new buzzword is to be social emotional and to be culturally relevant. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I can do those things, but a lot of times I need someone who understands the culture, who understands how culture ties into social-emotional competency in the classroom. And it's hard to do that when someone's on the outside looking in.
0: Which uh, definitely leads to a need not only for black educators more black educators in education um but specifically in leadership roles as well um because hopefully then you know they will be uh you know knowledgeable of of the cultural nuances and logistics that you know we we deal with on the day-to-day working with our kids so
2: absolutely
0: hmm okay
1: um Used to be so cool, new year, new me. I used to be cool, now I'm cool crazy. Say, little boy, this is the danger zone, and this is you. That's my new get out dance. When you see me do it, just walk to the door and get on the other side of it. I told one parent, your kid in here throwing tantrums. What do you do when she throw tantrums? The parent gonna tell me, I just usually let her get her way. And I see what the problem is. It's you. Would y'all please stop? Okay, keep on not stopping. Watch how ignoroneous I'm about to get. I'm in a parent meeting with a grandmother. She telling me how good her kid is. He's mannerable. He's smart. I'm looking around trying to figure out who she talking about. He's loving. Not Jadarius, aka Jademon. He's sweet. He bad. He's punctual. He's handsome. He is anointed. And suspended. I'm gonna start a new group called the Belt Disciples. Say, little girl, you a little too little to have such a heavy set attitude. That's not what we use glue for. Keep doing what you're doing, and I'm gonna do whatever I gotta do to stop you from doing it. And watch what I do. You need to smear some deodorant on your latitude like, because it stank. Because right now, it's something strong enough for a kid with pH balance for suspension. The academic coach is gonna come here and tell me I need to try a softer approach when I'm dealing with discipline. That kind of approach will get you approached the wrong way. All right, academic coach, I'm finna start acting academically uncoachable. I'm gonna win in the end with this pen. It's about four, five, six seven, eight, nine of y'all that I wish I could accidentally thump. It's how fast I'm typing on your discipline referrals. You got to go.
0: Is there anything that you're reading right now or that you've read in the past that you'd recommend to the black educators listening?
2: Um, I would definitely say, um, oh gosh, there's this, there's this book that I used for my research i believe it's called what is this book called um it's something to the effect of how to teach hmm okay let me come back to the book cuz i don't remember the title <laughs> um one of the things one of the things um i wrote i read in undergrad um, was a essay by James Baldwin. <laughs> mm, I love him. And James, oh God, James Baldwin is definitely one of my favorite, favorite, favorite human beings of all time. And then like favorite authors, writers of all time. And it was a letter for teachers in a time of turmoil. And I randomly was just kind of taking a mental break from, um, writing uh i think i was in it was writing for an education class and i just came ac- i stumbled across james baldwin and um i really feel like it was almost like his spirit just guided me to that particular essay that he wrote because this literally became the framework for my whole reason for teaching um my call to teach um i do feel like education and teaching in and of itself is a very spiritual act. Um, It's not, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to become a postal worker. You have to have to have to be called to that. Um, And it really just explained a lot of the cultural nuances, explained the relationship that educators have to have with black boys, the relationship that educators have to have with black girls, the relationship that educators constantly have to understand about, um, society at large and America and the American government's relationship with black people, black culture, black families, black mothers, black fathers, black students, um, in such a way that was not, um, sugarcoating anything, but it wasn't really, um, berating you with the negativity and the violence that Black people often experience. It was just kind of in this very um, James Baldwin seriousness, but in a very pulling you in and like, honey, you need to get this or else we'll walk away from what you're doing. Um, And I really appreciated that because I don't, think whether, you know, as black educators or any other culture, we oftentimes really look at that experience from an outside in perspective. We oftentimes look at it from a, well, because I'm black, I know, and I understand what's going on. And as much as we'd love for that to be the case, I mean, we've all come across some tone deaf black educators who are just like, wow, you don't get it you don't get it. Um, so it really just kind of reminded me to always be connected, to always understand, to, um, explore other avenues of blackness within my own community, that my experience as a black American woman is not the same experience as say, uh, uh, someone from Haiti or, or a student who is Afro-Dominican mm. or a student who, you know, is maybe coming from Ghana or Sudan or maybe a student who is, you know, Afro-European. Maybe they grew up in Italy and they have a uh, African heritage from another background and cultural um, stance that I may not be able to directly relate to. So um, it inspired me to really go dive deeper into um my African diaspora, uh, learning and research so that no matter what, um, shade or hue of blackness that comes into my classroom, I have some foundation for understanding them because that that's important. That is very important to not just kind of lump us all together because that's what our oppressors do. And, um, we do not want to be that same oppressive force that our students have to deal with outside of the classroom right. or in other people's classrooms. We mm-hmm. don't want to be that to them because then they're just like, well, I, I will surrender all hope <laughs> right? <laughs> because someone who looks like me really doesn't understand me.
0: Perfect. Well said. Well said. Um, what's last question? Okay. What's one piece of advice you would give to a black educator listening to this podcast um, in 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 terms of how they can improve, whether that's personally, professionally a combination of of both.
2: Um, one of the things I would say um, for personal improvement, I would definitely say, just to go go back and really drive home that self-care, I would say self-care, 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 self-care. I I really believe in self-care because it's all about setting those personal boundaries for yourself. Well, really setting those professional boundaries for yourself. Um, If you are thriving as a person... On a human level, within the career of education, there are no limits and bounds for how you can soar professionally. Um, and I really feel like because of you know all the different avenues and just different opportunities for us to be pulled so and stretched so thin in teaching, we really need to secure our our self time, our me time. Um, So that way, when someone comes to us and says, you know, I need you to do this after school thing, or I need you to stay behind for this, I need you to do that. You are so secure within yourself. You have developed such a rich schedule of me time that if that extra thing, your supervisor or a colleague or a parent, or even sometimes a student is asking you for help with, you know, I can't stay on Tuesdays because I have to go for yoga class. I can't do this on a Friday night because, you know, that cuts into my activity time that I I'm so looking forward to. That is absolutely paramount. (laughs) Because if you have what is for you, your opportunity to be poured back into, to have your cup refilled at the end of the week or the end of the day, you can then pour back into your students or pour back into your job the way that you need to in the appropriate way. i would say professional professional improvement would definitely be um getting involved in any type of conferences or professional um uh professional conferences professional staff development professional um organizations according to your content area um i'm a part of an educational two two educational theater organizations i'm also a part of um an Association for Black ed- Educators of New York, ABNY, which is a, a part of um, UFT, a UFT union organization. Um, I'm getting, you know, I'm I'm constantly searching out different uh, either black, teach- black educator organizations or English educator organizations or even educational theater organizations, just so I can stay up on, stay abreast to, you know, the different data that's uh, coming out, the different teaching trends that are coming out, Um, and as well as opportunities to socialize with different like-minded teachers. Um, Teaching is such a very um, (laughs) occupational-specific experience, like we said earlier, a lot of people don't understand what we go through um so really creating that camaraderie amongst other teachers to just kind of vent and express what's going on even creating a network of just like you know hey i experienced this and and i don't it didn't feel right to me what should i do or is this normal um really having that support system of of fellow educators is important because um it can be an isolating experience because everybody is just like you're just a teacher. I don't understand what you're complaining about.
0: <laughs> right. We get, you know, yeah. three, four months off. You know, we only work eight, nine oh. months out of the year. Yeah. And, uh, like you said, glorified babysitters. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. we get to,
2: paid vacations. Yeah. Summer, yeah. Fall. You just go in.
0: You just, you yeah. know, say some things to the kids. You go home. Yeah. Yeah, you're it's done easy. By
2: three o'clock. Oh, what are you complaining about? Yeah. What well, <laughs> are complaining about? It. Get on Easy Street.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure, we do. Yeah. Yeah. My classroom is open to anyone that thinks otherwise. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I always I always challenge, this, especially our policymakers. I was like, if you can handle an eighth grade class one <laughs> period before lunch or a period after lunch <laughs> or the end two, of the day. <laughs> right. And or or that little that I, I remember I had an, a seventh grade class that I was there teacher right after they came from lunch and then the period before they came from lunch they had gym too oh, i nice. was like if if any politician can take that on i was like you win a bunch of 12 sweaty stinky 12 year olds who just had gym and then came from lunch and now they gotta sit in an ela class at the last period of the day i was like do it <laughs> and to be
0: fair you just really described my teaching uh, position my posts right now because uh, kids do go to gym and then they, and seventh graders specifically, they come to me and mm-hmm. uh, so I teach them for about 45 minutes. Then they get about 30 minutes for lunch. Then they come back from lunch off of their high from hot chips and candy and sodas and whatever else they've been uh, devouring. And then uh, they have to stay and be focused with me for another 45 minutes. And then after they leave, I get eighth graders at the end of the day. So oh, god, <laughs> I invite any politician who votes and makes decisions on educational policies to take over my classroom for a day. Oh yeah. That's an oh, open yeah. invitation from Tennessee to Absol- New York and back.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause it is, whew, it's magical, ain't it? <laughs>
0: yep, The levels of patience that I have to have is uh, mm-hmm. unparalleled to say the least. Oh absolutely
2: absolutely we we educators every if i just you know i i hug you all <laughs> yeah
0: and, and and you know to be honest with you that's the reason why i wanted to start this podcast that's the reason why Uh, I reach out to strangers that I don't know and then they become, you know, my colleagues and and we can depend on each other and support each other. And, you know, even the listeners who are listening, like this is all one community for us because uh, honestly, we don't have many, you know, communities out there. I mean, you got the Black uh, Educators Rock community. You got a few other organizations, like you were saying, um, which might be region uh, or or, uh, based on certain municipalities or locales. Uh, Specific, But, you know, overall, we don't have too many platforms or communities across different states that we can rely on. And uh, I just wanted to build something that could be honest, you know, we can be honest, we could be transparent, and it could be helpful, you know, more than anything is that we can just be honest with each other and say, all right, I'm struggling here, I'm struggling with this, how can we fix it? Um, and, And hopefully that helps.
2: Absolutely. Oh, and I just wanted to add that extra little resource you said about, about something to recommend to the listeners. Um, sure. I thought of the book title. Um, it's a book by Christopher Enden. Um, his name, uh, his book is For White Folks Who Teach in the Hood and the Rest of Y'all Too, Reality Pedagogy and Urban Education. And it just focuses on race relations, education, and democracy in urban classrooms.
0: Awesome 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 and i've seen that book that, that book actually might have been recommended before on this podcast to be honest with you um but yeah definitely check that out i've seen teachers yeah. reading that before too so
2: oh yeah it was it was a great read it was actually um very very rarely but it was it was handed out during a, a professional a development i attended it, um, at a public school so I, w- I was happy to see it in that space i was like i was like yay we're getting there
0: what can i say
2: out. Thank you for listening to the
3: Black Scholars Podcast. For more information, Sometimes. go to blackscholarspublishing.com.
0: You just gotta go. You will never know what you could ever be. If you never try, you will never see. Stayed in Africa, we ain't
1: never leave. So one don't sleep in our ever. history. When no slave ships, or no misery, call me crazy, or isn't he? See I fell asleep and I had a dream,
3: it was all black.